0: It's time.
1: We are not called to be nice.
0: Sandy Rios. Welcome
1: Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational.
2: And here with me in DC is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me
1: or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it.
3: a uh, longtime Fox News contributor. Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We
1: have, I think it's four to one youth.
6: The horror in Gaza is only getting worse after Israeli airstrikes flattened three buildings today, killing at least 33 Palestinians, bringing the death toll to nearly 200. It's the deadliest single-day attack since fighting broke out between Israel and Hamas nearly a week ago. Gaza's Ministry of Health said nearly 60 children are among the dead. As rescuers dig through the rubble searching for survivors, they call out asking if anyone can hear them and get a response. He says, yes, I hear you, before being pulled out. Despite the enormous devastation across Gaza, Hamas is continuing its rocket campaign against Israel. Over 3,000 rockets have been fired indiscriminately into Israeli territory. The vast majority are intercepted by what's known as the Iron Dome Missile Defense System. But not all are caught, causing damage like this in the southern town of Ashkelon. In all, ten Israelis have been killed, including two children. Around the world and major diplomatic efforts are underway to stop the violence. But Israel insists it's not interested in a ceasefire with Hamas. While in East Jerusalem, where this all began... An apparent car ramming at a police checkpoint. Several officers were wounded and the alleged perpetrator shot dead. It follows weeks of unrest as Palestinian protesters took to the streets to commemorate Nakba Day, or the catastrophe, marking what Palestinians see as the destruction of their homeland for the creation of Israel which perhaps explains why the looming expulsions of six Palestinian families from their homes by Jewish settlers here is causing so much anger. Muna Jurd, who could lose the house her family has lived in for decades, says it's time for this catastrophe to stop. Amidst all the unrest, potentially more serious problems are unfolding. Across Israel, there's been several nights of horrific mob violence in mixed Jewish and Arab cities. Despite an increased police presence, Neighbor is still turning on Neighbor.
1: All right, that was a CBS report on what's happening in Israel and what happened over the weekend. Uh, It's a good, thorough report, even if its perspective might not be quite what we feel it is. But how would we know? But I tell you who will know is our next guest. Uh, General Jerry Jerry Boykin is the um, executive vice president of the Family Research Council, but he served 36 years in the American military as the commander of the Green Berets, the commander of Delta Force. Uh, He also served as a deputy undersecretary of defense for intelligence. He's an ordained minister, Uh, and he's got a great personal story. He is an American patriot, and he's a good friend of mine. General Boykin, good morning, and thank you for joining us.
4: Sandy, I am always delighted to be on with you.
1: Oh thank you, General. I I know that, Israel, uh, you make so many trips there, and because of your life in the military— you have very good connections. So I would love your response to that report and what you think is happening right now.
4: Well, I think that uh, this is a test of uh, Joe Biden's presidency. And I, so far, I don't think he's uh, doing very well with it. But uh, I think that this has been stirred up largely by the Iranians. Uh, Remember that the Iranians, even though they're Shia, they are supporting Hamas. Uh, They're supporting Hezbollah. They're supporting the the elements of Fatah that are over in uh, Judea and Samaria, otherwise called the West Bank. So I think the Iranians have a hand in this, and, uh, and I think that it uh, is all about seeing what Joe Biden is made of. And, and don't think for a moment that the Chinese and the Russians aren't watching, and particularly because the Chinese want Taiwan, and they're seeing uh, just how strong this administration is before they make their move on Taiwan.
1: Well, you know general uh, what uh Joe Biden said, gave lip service last week to uh, Israel having a right, you know, to defend its territory, but what what is the Biden administration actually doing to help Israel right now? Anything?
4: Well, well we don't know what we don't know, but I see no signs of him providing uh any uh material support. We ought to be just pouring uh into Israel, the, uh, the warheads for these uh, for this uh, system that they have, the Iron Dome, uh, to make sure that they've got plenty of warheads to keep knocking down these rockets and missiles as they come across uh, out of Gaza and out of the West Bank. Uh, and I don't know that we've seen any signs that uh, they're actually pro- providing that to Israel. We ought to provide them with any material equipment that they need right now, because you really have to be objective about this thing and understand that the Israelis didn't start this. In fact, they don't start these wars that occur over there. They get whipped, these so-called Palestinians get whipped into a frenzy by other countries, by like Iran, but also by the insurgent elements of Fatah uh, under Mahmoud Abbas, and uh, they get whipped into a frenzy, especially around Ramadan which is when this whole thing started. And then they start shooting, and and it just takes on the life of its own. And I've seen it, and what it does is it forces the Israelis to, uh, in most cases, to launch a ground campaign and to go into these two uh, areas there to start ferreting out some of these these terrorist elements there that have uh, buried themselves uh, underground down in uh, deep underground
1: systems. When Obama was uh, in office, I was in Israel on one of those national security tours, which you're very familiar with. And uh, we heard uh, the uh, creator of the Iron Dome speak, Danny, whatever, I can't recall his last name, but I remember how sophisticated, a a lot, Uh, all the sophistication of the Iron Dome and how expensive each one of those is when they send it off. And at the time, as I recall, General, Uh, The Obama administration was not helping at that time and also not supplying parts uh, to planes that were uh, breaking down or had mechanical problems. Uh, There was a hold on that. So there are ways that administrations can undermine that we don't even know about, and that's what you're talking about. We don't really know what this administration is doing, if they're helping or not helping. Chances are, since there are so many Obama people in the Pentagon right now, and in the Defense Department, I don't know why we would think that they would be behave any differently than the Obama administration.
4: Well, and, and remember also that there's an extreme leftist uh, element within the uh, Democratic Party and within the administration, and that's uh, Rashida Tlaib and uh, Ilhan Omar, and it is those people that have come out of that part of the country that are supported by others who have aligned themselves with them, and they believe that uh, when Joe Biden or or Donald Trump or anybody else says that Israel has a right to protect itself, they believe that uh, Israel is an occupying nation and that they have no right to defend themselves when they are the occupiers. And just listen to them. Let's just listen to them when they go on the news. And of course, the news is more than happy to give them a platform to get up and spew their hatred and their rhetoric all over the world on these uh, media platforms that are available to them. But that's part of what Joe Biden is dealing with, is that uh, even Barack Obama didn't have as much opposition uh, and as a stream of, of opposition as. Uh, that Joe Biden has here with these, I mean, really off-the-wall elements that are, uh, think they, they, when, when they think of uh, retaliation, they think in, term of, in terms of proportionality. So if they fire three rockets out of Gaza, then the Israelis should not fire more than three rockets. That is the biggest nonsense that I have heard coming out of these people. What you do when there's a threat is you destroy that threat. You destroy There's no such thing as proportionality. You destroy it. You do make sure. It's just like Smokey the Bear says, you know, you, you put it all out, put out all the ashes. And that's exactly what the Israelis are doing. And that's why you see, you know, those big buildings and all that. Uh, and I have uh, sat with the Israelis, and I've watched videos of them when, when they uh, were actually going into Gaza. This is several years ago. And they knew that there was a weapons cache in a particular house, and they called that house, and they said, evacuate immediately. Well, so what did the people do? They ran up and got on top of the building. On, You know, you can get on top of all those buildings over there. So they got on top of the building, so the Israeli drones would see them, and it was kind of a defiant act. So the Israelis came in with a helicopter and fired about... Uh, 20 rounds on one corner of that building where they were standing, and they immediately evacuated. And as soon as they got out of there, the Israelis hit it with bombs, and uh, the secondary explosions just went on for, you know, indefinitely as things were blowing up in that weapons cache that was there. So the Israelis go to great uh, lengths to try and make sure that they reduce the uh, collateral damage. They don't want to kill. Uh, kids, but that's something that the Palestinians take advantage of. Because you see, there's an element of those Palestinians that are hardcore jihadists. And they raise their children with an understanding that the greatest thing they can do with their lives is to sacrifice their lives in a suicide bombing and take out infidels, and that will give them a sure place in heaven with X number of virgins and you know, they 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 don't care about their own children. Some of them don't. I mean, many of them do, just like Americans. But there are many jihadists in there that don't care about them. So, so the Israelis are left with a no-win situation. They cannot win the publicity war. The Israelis are on the losing side, no matter what, with the publicity war. So they just need to do what they have to do to protect the Israeli citizenry.
1: Just a few other questions about Israel before we before we move come back to to the United States uh, general. but the Abraham Ac- Abraham Accord, which was signed under President uh, Trump, it okay, it's my impression that it's actually still having effect here because I haven't uh, some of those countries that signed that accord with Israel or not to attack Israel have been silent. Would you agree that yeah. it's having an effect?
4: I do agree. I agree very much so. And I I think that of all the things that the Bush administration or I'm I'm sorry, the Trump administration accomplished, that is one of the greatest that they cuz that was something that nobody saw coming. That is something that if you if you, you just go back a couple of years you would have said that'll never happen. That'll they never happen. Never make peace. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, Saudi Arabia. Never make peace. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, we need to say that because people don't know they they agreed not to attack israel and so they're being silent during this conflict and united arab emirates also i don't know who else but uh it's just an amazing thing and one last thing i noticed yesterday that there you know the, Isra- the israelis have no support they have no support they never do the united nations everyone is aimed against them but there are some pockets uh, i uh, it's um uh, kosovo the czech republic kiev romania uh, they are all flying flags in support of Israel. I think that's fascinating, don't you?
4: It is absolutely fascinating. And if you look at all of those countries, uh, you'll see that, uh, first of all, there is a uh, there is a threat of Christian faith, and that it runs very deep. And then secondly, that uh, they uh, have been very close allies of, of the United States, uh, particularly since the wall came down and the uh, Soviet Union fell apart.
1: Yeah. So that's the net effect of that. It's just such a such a – I always say to my husband now, since uh, there's no place in the world safe to travel, the former Eastern European bloc nations are probably the safest place to go right now. Uh, my guest is uh, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin. And um, uh, let me just say, when we come back, we're going to talk about a letter that um, he has written and joined in with 120 retired flag officers confronting what the Biden administration is doing and uh, an effort to warn people and to give practical advice about how Americans can fight back uh, about what's happening in this country. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
7: This is good news, maybe exactly when you need it to... Right now, MediShare is waiving their new member fees. This could save you money on top of all that you'll save each month by becoming a member of MediShare. So many people are looking for a healthcare solution right now, seeing the cost of COBRA plans, for instance, and MediShare is the affordable alternative to health insurance. The typical family saves $500 a month. You might save even more. MediShare is a Christian community that shares each other's healthcare costs, and because of the current economic situation, they're making it easier than ever. Apply by May 30th, and you can save an additional $170 on your first month. I'll give you the number here in a second, and if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. Just tell them the promo code SHARE to receive your additional savings. Maybe now is the time to make the switch like more than 400,000 people already have and start saving. Here it is call 833 44 Bible. That's 833 44 Bible. 833 44 Bible.
1: This is Pause to Pray. A chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders.
4: Today we pray for Robin Minor, Acting Chief Operating Officer for Federal Student Aid. His office oversees the lending operations for the federal government and regulates colleges and universities that receive federal funding. Proverbs 16.16 reminds us of the importance of education. How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get insight Rather than silver. Right now with this in mind, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we ask for guidance for Robin Minor in his work at the Department of Education. We ask this in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org.
3: Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next.
7: If you're a first responder, you know the right training can make all the difference in a crisis. At Liberty University, we know the right training can make all the difference for your future. So we're proud to offer you a 25% discount on our more than 450 online degree programs. Combine this discount with our generous military benefits if you or your spouse also have military experience. Learn more about getting the right training at Liberty University by texting DEGREE to 49595. That's DEGREE to 49595.
3: Art class at Sonora High School in California got political. The art teacher displayed a revised painting of American Gothic. Instead of a farmer and his wife, it featured President Trump wearing a KKK hood and First Lady Melania Trump not wearing much at all. The assignment was to take something old and make it new, but I suspect this was really about bashing President Trump. Parents are angry, and the school district says they're investigating, but this sounds like yet another example of a far-left educator indoctrinating the kids instead of educating the kids. Jim Schultz has a child in the class. He tells KOVR politics does not belong in an art class. Imagine what would have happened had the art teacher displayed a painting of former President Obama. Picking cotton in the Mississippi Delta, you know, for the sake of modernizing art. They would have burned the painting right on the spot. I'm Todd Starnes.
8: Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at sandy at AFR.net. That's sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning
9: on American Family Radio. A far more sinister and dangerous effort is underway right under our noses right now at the Pentagon. Something I know a little bit about. I've been in the military for the better part of two decades. I was in the Army National Guard until last month. We all saw this coming. And now it's here. This is not just the woke military stuff you've been hearing about. This is not an extremism stand down or a social justice reading list or even a foolish CIA recruitment video we've all seen by now this is worse. This is way worse. This, my friends, is a purge. A purge of the Defense Department, led by a new and now powerful radical leftist, a 1619 Project activist, a hardcore social justice Democrat, a man who believes all, all Trump supporters are racists and extremists. And what must we do to racists? We must define them and then we must purge them.
1: That's Pete Hexeth on Fox News. and You know that Pete's a military veteran. He's talking about a new appointment to the Pentagon. Bishop Garrison, who's the senior advisor to Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, also himself not a fan of um, American patriots who supported Donald Trump and don't believe the, January, uh, the election of November of 2020 was uh, rightly decided or was, was uh, let's say, illegally decided, and so they are purging the military, and military people who have served for years are beside themselves uh, for good reason, and so they're speaking up. One of them is Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin. Again, he's the former commander of the Army uh, Delta Force and also the Army's Green Berets. Also, he was uh, the Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence, and uh, just he has such a breadth of experience. General, it uh, seems like quaint, quaint kind of, uh, that you and I went to the Pentagon and uh, delivered petitions uh, to uh, ask the Pentagon to stop mistreating chaplains uh, compared to what we're seeing now, don't you think?
4: Yeah. It, it, uh, it is sad what we see happening to our military on so many fronts, and... Uh, Yeah, Sandy, the day we went over there, I I think that we got their attention. But but those people are gone now, and uh, it's almost like we have to start over again with the same stuff.
1: So we know that Barack Obama purged the military leadership. So many good men, we've talked about this, you and I, many times, uh, were either forced to step down or just made miserable until they did step down. And so that's kind of what President Trump inherited. And do you think that President Trump made any gains in reversing the uh, firmly implanted leftist leadership of the Pentagon during his four years?
4: Well, I think he did. But keep this in mind. When you, when you do what uh, Barack Obama did and now Joe Biden is doing, uh, and you purge the military of combat-tested, good-known leaders— so that you can move in people who will support your policies, uh, then what you're doing is you are destroying a, uh, a probably a, uh, a group of men that will take almost a decade to replace them. So you cannot do this overnight. So if I get rid of a bunch of good colonels, the next guys are probably majors and lieutenant colonels that we're going to have to bring along and ultimately to put them in these senior positions in the military or in the armed services as well as in the Pentagon. And uh, and that can be uh, almost a decade to get those people to the point where they can go in to be those senior leaders. So what you wind up with is you wind up rep- replacing the ones that you've appointed, you replaced them with more just like them because they were lucky enough to be on that list that was not purged out of our military. And they're not the right people in many cases. There are some who are, but in the most cases, they are not the right people to be in there to move our military in this very complex period of time.
1: So Lloyd Austin then has taken it a step further. He's the the appointee of uh, he's, the, he's the confirmed def, de, uh, defense secretary under Joe Biden. And after January 6th, you know, he announced this big program. Where are we with this to sort of purge the military? I just uh, explain how they're doing that and what your thoughts are about that, General.
4: Well, I'll just take a look at this story about this uh, lieutenant colonel in the space command and, and who uh, talked about the Marxism that has crept into the military. He's absolutely right. Dead on, but what happened to it? He just got fired. A lieutenant colonel, an upcoming uh, officer and leader in the Air Force, and the Space Command especially, and they just fired him because he talked about Marxism in the military. Uh, and I just got a call from a guy that was telling me that uh, one of the young men in his unit had a, had a, t- a thing on his dog tags that said, Molan LeBay. Now, Molon LeBay is is what uh king leonidas told xerxes at the battle of thermopylae when xerxes said lay down your weapons and uh and leonidas responded with Bay," meaning, come and take it come and take my weapons and uh we know the story of thermopylae and this young man had that it is a very popular phrase within the armed services you'll see it on the back of their vehicles you see it all all the time and uh and that guy was uh, was told to take that off, or he would be disciplined in the military. And what you're seeing now is you're seeing uh, people that uh, that just simply realize that, that what's happening to our military, and you're seeing them leave the military. I got a call from a guy in Kuwait last week, Sandy. When I was sitting in one of the gas lines up here in Northern Virginia, <laughs> I got a call from. Guy in Kuwait who I had known for a number of years, and he said, "I'm done. I can't do this anymore." And he said, "I'm uh, I'm getting out. I'm leaving." I got I was I uh, saw a guy this weekend in Nashville, Tennessee. There, that was in the National Guard and He said they are forcing me to teach a to teach a class. We're gonna bring our our soldiers in for a weekend drill, and we're gonna spend that whole weekend on this class that they're forcing me to teach on inclusion and tolerance. And he said, it borders on critical race theory. And he said, I'm done. I can't do it. This is the attitude that is cropping up all over our military. And what this means is good people are walking. Good people are leaving our military, not because they're not patriots, not because they don't want to serve, but because they do want to serve. And instead, what they're doing is they're serving a very nefarious agenda by staying in the military.
1: You know, let me read something to you. This is an article in The American Thinker by Selwyn Duke, and this is a question he poses that I want to ask you. He writes, if you heard about a third world country in which the leadership was purging the military of political opponents, would you assume it was just an exercise in ideological nepotism? Or would you suppose the leaders wanted a military of devoted fellow travelers who would, when asked unflinchingly turn their guns on domestic opponents of the regime who couldn't be covered or cowed by other methods? Now should the assumption be different just because the military purge occurs in a developed country? I, I just
4: Well this is frightening. I mean what you just said is frightening. What you just read is frightening. What is what what is their objective? And what is this all about? I will tell you that I believe that they are deliberately weakening our military. Yes, I believe that is true. They're weakening our military. I also believe that they are filling the upper echelons of our military with people who will support this agenda, a very radical agenda of the Biden administration. But I think that it has a lot to do with the fact that they want to weaken our military. They're going to cut the budget. They're going to do a, a, all this purging, and I think they're doing this very intentionally because they want to reduce our military uh, simply because they want us to be in a situation where it would be very difficult for us to use our military. You have an anti-war faction uh, in in our Congress today. You, you have a faction there that is actually pro-Putin uh, uh, and and some that are pro uh President Xi in China. And I think that they're deliberately uh, reducing the readiness of our military uh, to suit their agenda. And And it doesn't make sense. It sounds illogical. Well, yes, we, we understand it sounds illogical. But nonetheless, that's exactly what they're doing.
1: Yes, it absolutely is. And then that leads me to this letter. Uh, you uh, penned, I'm sure you penned a lot of this because I know you, uh, it's a letter Uh, From uh, 120 retired generals and admirals, let me uh, read the opening uh, uh, part here. Our nation is in deep peril. We are in a fight for our survival as a constitutional republic like no other time since our founding in 1776. The conflict is between supporters of socialism and Marxism versus supporters of constitutional freedom and liberty. Uh, And so uh, then you go on to talk about the various things— Well, there's a lot of different points you make in here, but you do end by telling people what they can do. And it it kind of ends on a theme that I've been talking about a lot, General, and that is uh, people need to get involved where they live locally to ensure that we have better people in Congress. That's the bottom line, right?
9: That
4: is absolutely the bottom line. And uh, and I was in Murfreesboro, Tennessee this weekend at the uh, Global Outreach Church there, which is a very large church. And that's exactly what I told them. Don't accept what's going on in this nation if you don't agree with it. Get up and do something. Run for the school board. Go to the city council meetings. Get people on the city council. Get people in your state legislature. You can work at your level to make a difference. And I, and I know that because I know people that are doing just that. And they're changing the dynamics, they're changing the direction of their communities, and, and that, that is a trickle-up effect. If we if we will get involved at the local level, ultimately, we're going to have an impact at the national level and the direction of this country. So that's, that's my advice to people, and that's what I said to the people out in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, this weekend. Get involved at the level where you can have an impact. And that's that's what all Americans should be doing.
1: Yep, that's what I preach almost every day too, General. In fact, let me just say again, uh, we have uh, identified uh, Terry uh, and a friend, a friend of mine from Wisconsin, who has uh, done a successful campaign in Waukesha. They took back eighty five percent of the seats that were up for grabs, and they've developed a template. And we, I'm going to offer again today to any of you listening who are in local areas around the country, and you're saying to yourself, how can I get involved? How can I organize my community? My How can I take out this school board that just did this horrible thing like Loudoun County where parents stood up and read these pornographic passages from the books they're assigning children to read, uh, and they're mad, and they're going to take back their school board. If you're in an, an ish area like that, uh, you can have tremendous impact on what's happening in the country. So let me know because uh, write me at sandy at afr.net, and I will put you in touch with Terry. Uh, and he's going to be training people how to organize their communities. So it's uh, Sandy at afr.net. That's Sandy at afr.net. Let's talk a little bit more about your letter, General. And by the way, we'll put your letter on our Facebook page so people can read it in its entirety. But you put, point out something important. I try to. I haven't said this enough. Uh, but to people who are have been our political opponents and have accused us of being uh, stupid, Trump. Uh, blind, you know, mindless supporters, you point out in this letter that we saw what was coming. That's one of the reasons we supported Donald Trump, because we saw what was coming if he didn't win. Just say a word about that if you would.
4: Well, in September, uh, we wrote a letter supporting Donald Trump and trying to point out that this was the most critical election maybe in our history. Uh, because we were going to have to make choices of whether we were going to go down the road of being a constitutional republic or we were going to go down the road of being a, a Marxist nation with uh, government, you, you know, utilitarian uh, control of the people. So what uh, what we did now is we see that everything that we predicted in that letter on, on the 23rd of September, I think it was, is... Um, is happening. So we, we uh, wrote this letter in order to point out to the people, to the Americans that look, if you focus on one thing, you're missing the big picture. Look, here are the things that are happening. The rule of law is gone. We had a questionable election, and we didn't say that Joe Biden was an illegitimate president. We simply said there was enough uh, there that the Supreme Court, as well as the Congress, should have at least looked at the evidence, uh, because the free and fair elections are fundamental to a constitutional republic. And we talked about how they're using the military. We talked about how they're putting the military out on the streets of America just for the optics, uh, in Washington, D.C. And, uh, the concertina wire around the, the White House and the, uh, Capitol building, which is, again, it's a big con. It's, a uh, It's all about the optics of it and trying to convince people that you and I and people like us are domestic terrorists. And then we talked about the things that we see happening in the Marxist movement uh, in this nation and how we're we're moving in that direction. And we laid out all of these things, and uh, and, and we kind of came near the end there, and we said, and by the way, we think that uh, the fact that uh, people in the Democratic Party are starting to question the procedures, or uh, a nuclear launch. Uh, oh yes, that, uh, the uh, that it, the I guess the mental stability of the president needs to at least be uh, considered and examined.
1: All right, this so, is an open yeah. This is an open letter. By the way, keep in mind this this is from retired generals and admirals, like Lieutenant General Boykin, who have experience, who have defended this country, and are speaking up. And uh, they're encouraging you now. It's the people, it's we the people who are going to have to take this on our own shoulders and turn around our communities in order to fight back. And uh, we'll put this letter on our Facebook page so that you can read it and share it. General Boykin, thank you. As always, thank you so much for everything that you do and uh, for staying steadfast at a time when you might actually just relax a little bit. You're not doing that, and we, we thank God for that. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
3: Hello, I'm Don Hawkins, here to tell you about Encouragement Live, 55 minutes of industrial-strength radio encouragement featuring resourceful guests plus practical biblical insights to help you face life's challenges. We'll be taking your phone calls, so plan to join us for Encouragement Live, Saturdays at 7.05 p.m. Central, 8.05 p.m. Eastern, here on American Family Radio. Hi, this is Pastor Robert Morris. I'm often asked, how do I grow in my
4: relationship with the Lord? How do I hear God? What is God's plan and purpose for me? I wanna personally invite you to join me on Sunday mornings right here on AFR for Worship and the Word. And we will discover the answer to these questions together. We'll explore the truths found in God's Word that will help you strengthen your faith and develop a more intimate relationship with Him.
9: There were added that day about 3,000 souls. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. The day of Pentecost concluded with 3,000 converts being added to the initial body of 120 believers. Then that 3,120 spent time together daily going to the temple and interacting in each other's homes. They devoted themselves continually to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, sharing meals together, and praying together. The 3,120 that made up the early church came from Turkey, the Middle East, and Africa, and included Arabs and Romans. In addition to the geographic and ethnic diversity, they also spoke different languages. Yet they were made one family in Christ Jesus. Scripture has the answer to the issues we face today. Listen each
0: weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, Public Policy Analyst for the American Family Association.
8: Ryan Fisher here with today's Life and Liberty Minute. With America's large cities again filled with hate-driven lawbreakers, it's time to look for solutions. In the near term, we need a forceful police presence. Force is the only language these rioters understand. But long-term, this period of unrest signals that we have a major problem with manhood in America. The males involved in these protests do not understand what it means to be a man. They think it involves violence, insubordination, and lack of respect for the law. Where are we going to find a new generation of men? Dads, this is our job. I've written the Boy to Man book as a modest contribution to raising a new generation of muscular Christian men. Every day, 10,000 boys turn 12. This book is written for their fathers. Order a copy today at afastore.net, afastore.net. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio.
0: This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Since World War II concluded with Japan's unconditional surrender on the deck of the USS Missouri, military conflicts have generally not ended but been suspended. One side, usually the U.S., and or its Western allies simply decided to stop fighting. Often bad things ensued. For example, the two-plus million killed by communists in Southeast Asia after we unilaterally terminated the Vietnam War. Joe Biden's abandoning of Afghanistan is likely to result in horrific repercussions for our friends there and for us. In the case of Israel... Ever since its outright defeat of Arab armies in 1967, externally imposed ceasefires have repeatedly bought time for its Palestinian and other enemies to regroup and attack again more forcefully. That must not happen this time. If it does not actually crush Hamas, the consequences for the Jewish state and U.S. regional interests will be devastating. This is Frank Gaffney.
8: Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio.
2: Uh, any conversations that have gone on uh, with the president about the president's potential involvement in uh, January 6th, his potential determination not to step in and offer assistance? Uh, any any conversations uh, that have have to do with you know any members of Congress? Uh, those, you know, people who may be retired. We know that there were conversations in the Oval Office before this about the possibility of declaring martial law and seizing. Uh, you know, election and seizing the ballot machines. Um, so I think that, that all of this really points to why it's so important that we have a commission. You know, we've done that after Pearl Harbor, we did it after the Kennedy assassination, we did it after 9-11. It's the way that we as a country come together in a nonpartisan fashion to understand what happened, to get to the bottom of it, it must have subpoena power, uh, and and to begin to take steps so we can ensure it never happens again.
1: That was Liz Cheney talking with Chris Wallace on Sunday about being ousted from leadership. And we're going to get to that part in a second. But I want to start with the January 6th part where she says to Chris, we need a commission. we got to get to the bottom of this. And she repeatedly calls, you know, what happened on January, uh, what happened in the election of November, it's the big lie. She says that over and over again. She says that President Trump is perpetrating the big lie. She talks about the insurrectionists on January 6th and how they need to be brought to justice uh, so I just thought you'd find it interesting that um, I'm going to—first of all, let me just tell you, I'm going to be doing a, a whole hour with Senator Ron Johnson on Friday about January 6th. And what we're finding out about that, I'm not sure why Liz doesn't know these things, but she obviously doesn't. And one of them that just came out, came into my inbox over the weekend, was this next video release. Now, remember, you've seen all kinds of videos of January 6th, and they look, they re- look really bad. Most of the ones that are played by network television, all of the ones that are played by network television about how horrible the people were that went in and they, uh, but what we know now is that the Capitol Police have something like, I don't know, I want to say five or 6,000 hours of video taken from different angles and they wouldn't release that. They've not been, people that are trying to defend the people that are in jails in D.C., you know, in solitary confinement except for like one or two hours a day, who were there on January the 6th, their defenders are not being allowed to see this video. Uh, So most of the video has not been released, but somehow someone got a hold of this, and this is what's happening. This is a Capitol policeman working with protesters inside the Capitol on January the 6th, and one of the protesters whose voice you will hear is the shaman with the big furry hat and the horns, uh, Chomsky, I think his name is, uh, so uh, and he's been in solitary confinement since January, by the way. But I just want you to hear this video. We'll re- re- address this again when we talk to Ron Johnson. But this is recently released video. Listen to what's happening here. Everybody,
0: everybody, listen
8: up. The police here are willing to work with us and cooperate peacefully like our First Amendment allows. Gather more Americans under the condition that they will come and gather peacefully to discuss what needs to be done to save our country.
9: We're not one other or the other. We need to show. You understand. Show us no attacking, no assault. Remain calm. We're not going to assault.
8: We're going to be heard. Everybody, this must be peaceful. This has to be peaceful. This has to be peaceful. We have the right to peacefully assemble.
1: Peace All right, so that's a voice uh, the, in the middle there is the Capitol Police officer. We have his name, uh, and uh, we know who the two guys who are doing most of the talking. The one in the last was the guy in the big furry hat. He's saying this has to be peaceful, and the policeman is saying, now we just want no violence. You guys need to be, you know, stay, uh, uh, whatever, stay, control yourselves, don't do any damage, and uh, you can stay in. And I, I, so has anyone seen that video? Oh, I don't think so because— All of the people that went in on January 6th were insurrectionists, right? They went in with weapons to take over the government, right? No, I don't think so. Uh, But this is an inconvenient video, and I wanted you to hear it. And then that kind of reminds me of the next conversation that Chris had with Liz Cheney, because uh, Liz didn't get the memo, and so let's listen. Clip 9.
5: House Republicans voted this week to remove Liz Cheney as conference chair, for her refusal to stop attacking former President Trump. But she says it won't stop her from running for re-election or from fighting for the future of the GOP. And joining us now from Cheyenne, Wyoming, Congresswoman Cheney. Congresswoman, I want to start with the decision by uh, the House Republican Caucus to remove you this week. Uh, we had Congressman Jim Banks, the head of the Republican Study Committee, on the show last Sunday. And here's what he said about this. Take a look.
0: We shouldn't be talking about Liz Cheney. We should be talking about pushing back against the radical Biden agenda. And th- this is all a distraction from our ability to be able to do that.
5: Banks was saying, with Republicans so close to winning back the House in the midterms next year, that the focus should be on what unites the Republican Party, which is opposition to the Biden agenda, and not picking fights with a a former president who's now living in Mar-a-Lago near Palm Beach. What's wrong with that thinking?
2: Well, I think it is absolutely the case that uh, we have to have the strongest position possible going forward so we can take back the House, the Senate and the White House. Uh, The the issue is that, you know, we cannot do that if we are embracing the big lie, if we are embracing what what President Trump, former President Trump, continues to say on a nearly daily basis, which is claims that the election was stolen using the same language he used that he knows provoked violence on January 6th. In order for us to be in the strongest possible position to be able to prevail, to be able to defeat the ideas that we see coming from the other side that are really bad for the country, uh, we have to be a party that's based on a foundation of truth. And uh, I'm I'm not willing to be uh, complicit uh, or silent in the face of those lies coming from uh, President Trump. The big lie. This is what she
1: keeps saying. The big lie. And, you know, it's important to address this. I think this is um, this is this is key because what they're doing, based on the notion that talking about there being trouble, something amiss about the January about the November election, the 2020 election. Uh, is the big lie, and people are going to be punished for believing the big lie. People ask the people that are held in solitary confinement in the D.C. jails if they—that's not an issue for them. They're continually asked that. Uh, this one kid, remember, was not released to his parents. Who is—he's homeschooled because they believed the big lie. Uh, they believed that uh, the election was in question, and so they would not. Re- they thought it was dangerous to release him to his parents. This is how bad this is. They're forming a commission to examine all of us that believe there's something wrong, you know, maybe that uh, maybe something happened on uh, that November date when we all voted that wasn't was untoward and the days that followed. So um, I just want to give you some real concrete evidence why it's not a big lie. Heather Mullins is a reporter. uh, I've forgotten the outlet, uh, but she uh, it's one I've heard of it, but I'm not real familiar. But they did a great job and they're talking about something I mentioned to you last week. This happened in New Hampshire. Heather Mullins is going to explain it. And it, it's November the 3rd. Let's listen.
10: Clip President off. Trump had actually released specifically about this audit uh, because it certainly could potentially concern the presidential race in, uh, of 2020. But what it really caused it was a Democrat running for a local state rep race out here, lost her race by 24 votes. So under New Hampshire law, she was entitled to a hand recount. That hand recount found that in the town of Wyndham, uh, the machine was off over 1,000 votes. So of the 10,006 votes that went through that machine, 10 to 11% were wrong. Uh, and it actually took about 300 votes apiece from all of the Republican candidates and uh, gave an additional 100 votes to the Democratic candidate. So what ended up happening was a senator here named Bob Guida sponsored a bill, SB 43, that would require the attorney general and secretary of state to investigate because when initially approached, they said that, the recount wouldn't have changed the outcome so that they weren't going to investigate. So it actually took the legislature getting involved in passing a law for them to get involved and look into this. And it passed unanimously through the Senate. So all Democrats, all Republicans saying, we want to know what happened with this race. And so what ended up happening is, is you have a three-person election investigation team made up of a gentleman named Harry Hursty, who's known for, he was recently featured in an HBO documentary called Kill Chain, which is uh, all about the cyber risks of our election and these voting machines. he's also the founder of an organization called DEF CON, which does like an annual hacking convention where they actually have computers, all sorts of other things. So he certainly has the expertise to find out what's going on. The second person on that team is a guy named Mark Lindeman of a group called Verified Voting that has uh, stirred up some controversy because they actually sent a letter to the Arizona Senate telling them to stop there uh, current investigation saying it would stoke conspiracy theories. So people were not happy about that choice. And the third person on this team is a professor of UC Berkeley in California. He is uh, Philip Stark. And there's so far so good though. Those are the three people doing this investigation.
1: All right. So that's Heather. And basically what she's saying is this all came about when a Democrat lost by only 24 votes. And she was able to do a recount. And in the recount, They found out that something was amiss with their voting machines. Uh, The vote, the count in this small county, Wyndham, was off by 1,000 votes. Uh, And they had taken 300 votes from each of the Republican candidates. The machine had erased 300 votes from the Republicans and given 100 votes to each of the Democrats. And in a small county, that makes a huge difference. And so someone said, Hmm, what happened with these machines? And what Heather is saying is that both the Democrats and the Republicans in New Hampshire want to know. They're cooperating. They want to find out what happened. So uh, then she goes on to say, "What the? oh, this is the big lie, by the way. Heather is telling a big lie. None of this, of course, is true. The Democrats and the Republicans in New Hampshire are all liars. I just thought I'd go on record So because it's the big lie. That's what Liz is telling us, and that's what the left is telling us, and the Democrats are telling us. Uh, Well, the Democratic Party, not a lot of Democrats, I think. Obviously, the ones in New Hampshire don't think it's a big lie. Okay, so Heather goes on to talk about what they found so far. Let's listen. Here in New
10: Hampshire, people have a lot of concerns because Republicans took a lot of the state seats like we saw in some other states. But yet we lost the uh, Senate seats and the presidential race. So a little a bunch of controversy around that because people think it doesn't make sense. But ultimately, these machines are using 85 percent of New Hampshire counties. And so far, the only race that they've actually looked at was this Democrat state rep race. So we haven't looked at the governor race. We haven't looked at the Senate races. We haven't looked at the presidential race. um, But it certainly could be implicated based on the outcome. And so what you have here is four voting machines that are going to be forensically examined. And you have about 10,000 ballots. What they're currently doing and what they started yesterday is they they have the, all of the ballots brought here, the voting machines brought here. It's the, the whole thing is supposed to be live streamed. Uh, so far, what they've done is they've unpacked some of the boxes, about half of them, and they have the current ballots uh, being circulated through all four voting machines. So what they're going to do is they're going to run them through all four machines and see if they get the same number. Um, then after that, what they're going to do is they're going to do a hand count and a tally. So there's a couple different um, methods that they're using. And then ultimately, they're going to do the forensic on the machines. which yesterday, we actually found out that each machine comes with a binder that has the access law. So everybody that goes and accesses different courts on that voting machine is supposed to sign it in the presence of two witnesses. Well, what we found yesterday is what it appears to be is it's actually some of the sheets are missing signatures uh, from the people that it's Like so two witnesses signed, but not the person who physically opened it. There's also some claims that uh, serial numbers for the memory cards are not reflected on these log sheets. And in fact, one log sheet they actually admit is missing. And that is for the external entry port on voting machine number one. Uh, So that is still a mystery that they said that they were going to investigate further, but already we're seeing some cross-pollination between sheets being assigned to the wrong machine, that sort of thing. So it's a little bit uh, unorganized right now, and we're still looking for some more answers.
1: All right, Heather Mullins. Uh, and that, again, is New Hampshire. So the Democrats and the Republicans are working together in New Hampshire to figure out what happened with these voting machines. And what she just said was they have so far been examining that uh, the Democratic seat uh, where the woman lost by 24 votes, and that's the only seat that they've really examined. They haven't looked uh, all of New Hampshire, according to her, was the Democrat. Uh, the Republicans did incredibly well, which was unusual, uh, except at the presidents in the presidency and also the Senate races. And so, uh, she's saying there's implications now. I don't know, you know, if that would change uh, anything about their actual results or changing results at this point. I kind of doubt it. Uh, but it, what it, what it would show if they find what they think they're finding uh, is that there was something wrong with the machines, which is, you know, the big lie. It can't possibly be true. Uh, The Supreme Court didn't want to look at it, and uh, state legislatures didn't want to look at it. By the way, in Maricopa, uh, the Arizona Senate, of course, is uh, in the middle of this count. And now we're finding out that Dominion voting systems, along with Maricopa County officials, are refusing to hand over the passwords. Refusing, even though there is a court order that this recount can take place. And, of course, the Justice Department has interjected themselves as well. We can't have that recount, can we? So every obstacle imaginable has been thrown up. I expect that that little county in New Hampshire is probably going to get a letter from the Justice Department as well. But remember, it's all just a big lie. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.